0: You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vincent Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Raj. Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Informed Podcast. This is Roger coming to you on the Comic Book Week of the 14th of August. We've actually got a fantastic show planned. It raises a question, what if? What if this podcast was only hosted by me? How much more awesome would it be? I think Watu would agree. But we're stuck with Vince anyways. How's it going, buddy?
1: I'm drinking my
0: water. I'm drinking my wine. <laughs> <laughs> and you saw the picture. It's a big one. <laughs> It's either that or painkillers. I figure if I'm destroying my liver anyways, I may as well have some fun. What the hell? Why not? (laughs) So like I said earlier, we are actually going to be covering What If. We were talking about that not that long ago when we were talking about the uh, AVX What If that just recently came out. And that's actually volume 10. People might not realize that if they're relatively new to comics. They've been doing this for a while. They actually started doing the what ifs in, I believe it was seventy seven, is what I read. Uh, the first sounds one, about right. Yeah, the first one was what if Spider Man had joined the Fantastic Four, making it then the Fantastic Five, and from there it kind of steamrolled. And you got all manner of what ifs across the years and it became a way for marvel to let their writers have a little bit of fun without having to worry about continuity they could just basically write whatever story they would because it's essentially a kind of a one shot that isn't part of the canon so we wound up with some Again, fairly interesting stories, and some of them, which are things that we as readers wondered about as we were reading the comics. Case in point, one of the what-ifs that I'm going to discuss is what if Aunt May had died instead of Uncle Ben. Well, that opens up a wealth of opportunity there in terms of storytelling of how Peter Parker's and Spider-Man's life would have been different. So we're going to go through... a a bunch of them here and give our thoughts and i figured we're just gonna bounce back and forth and like the ever gracious host that i am i'm actually gonna go first so (laughs) (laughs) a lot of the ones that i chose were actually the older ones and because of that they are define older well i'm talking like volume one or just like volume one two and three Three, I might have one from three, uh, but no, I went, I went old school on these. And I, it part of it was I remember reading these when they came out, and exactly also exactly the same with me. Yeah. And then some of them, it was about a lot of those what ifs from back then wound up being, uh, I don't want to say more important than what we're seeing now. But I mean they were A lot of them came true. Well, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> but it was because they were they were things that were how do I say this? Like very basic parts of a group or a people or whatever. Not about like, what if AVX, or whatever, went to hell in a handbasket. No. It's about what if Sue married the submariner? What if Uncle Ben died? What if very Things that are very basic, very um, early on in the careers of a lot of our favorite characters and things like that. And because of that, I kind of like those. That being said as well, though, you also have to deal with the writing style of those periods, which, yeah, (laughs) make time for reading. (laughs) Because <laughs> those panels are full of text. So, but. Especially those really old ones were like 30 some pages oh, too, weren't they? Geez, some of them were, yeah, massive. And then some of them would include, of course, little stories at the end as well for just an extra little bit of what if this at the end. Um, so, anyways, I'll start off with one of the. Um, Again, from the first volume, and uh, this was actually number twenty one and it was that invisible invisible girl one and it was what if the invisible girl of the Fantastic Four had married the submariner now, the thing about all of the what ifs at least early on it they kind of started off the same way. You had the watcher Watu, who was kind of chilling out there and saying explaining the event in question how it actually transpired in the canon and then how in other parallel universes that he he's privy to, because he, he's, he's everything. Um, he's, he shows you what would happen in, in different cases. So in this one here, the, uh, the invisible woman, invisible girl actually left the fantastic four and married the submariner because if you recall very early on there was a lot of thing going on between them there and there was a uh, hell even now <laughs> you get those two in a room together you're not quite sure what might happen <laughs> if they go invisible <laughs> anything might happen um, and because in some of the, the comments that we've seen not that long ago even you can still see how he's kind of pining over her so here it's well what if she had gone with him versus Reed And it's really funny because if you've spent any time reading the Fantastic Four, which, I mean, I'm not massive Fantastic Four reader back in the day kind of thing, but even the amount that I've read, you know how neglected she was. (laughs) I read. (laughs) He spent all of his time in the lab and all of his time not paying attention to her and things like that. Lord only knows how they popped out those kids. But so here... You get the flip side of that and you see how lavished she is with attention by marrying the submariner. Did they actually make the submariner look fantastic in this one? Can, I, can I point out for a
1: second how annoying it is to me the way you
0: pronounce submariner? I didn't say sub, it's submariner. No, it sub, submariner. it's submariner. Isn't it submariner? Submariner. How do you know this? You it's all written. You don't because know. Because submariner sounds stupid. It kinda does. But so is he. <laughs> Are you he done mocking me?
1: Can we can we just meet middle ground
0: here? Are you done? Yeah, I because I haven't mocked you this episode yet. There was no call for that. That's not that's not mocking. Um, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> um. Anyway, so, so Namor is actually. Uh, there are you happy? Namor is actually treating her like really, really good, and she has been somehow changed, so now she can breathe underwater. He's still got those kooky eyebrows, though. Um, but he is actually treating her fantastic to the point of they're expecting a child. And she would like the Be Fantastic Four, who now includes Spider Man, which is a recurring theme throughout. Although not throughout the whole thing. He kind of had it at one point that's true, you guys, I'm out of here. <laughs> and it takes off. Um, but the she wants them to be present at the birth of their child and to celebrate this. And so Namor actually takes off to go completely peaceful and everything to ask them if they'll come. And they just wig out on him and just start a fight, which he fights back no problem. So the the thing here that's cool is you actually get the flip side. You get to see how her life is different, but you also really get to see the impact that her leaving has had, not just on the team as a whole, because it has, but especially Reed and Johnny being Johnny to a lesser degree, although he's just still at that age, basically a young punk kind of looking for any reason to hurt somebody. Reed, however, is losing it. He is not handling this well at all at all. And he's making a lot of, of bad choices, including deciding that's it. She can't be in her right mind. A little egotistical there. <laughs> Heaven forbid she wants to be with somebody else. No, <laughs> If it's not me, she's out of her mind. So he and Storm are going to go and basically destroy Atlantis, force them all to become normal air breathers. So they have to go to the surface and then become normal folks and not at Atlanians, Atlanians, whatever. and uh, But it's going to kill some of them. It's going to kill probably Sue because she's going into labor. And it goes on from there. I don't want to spoil too much of this. This was, like, this is a massive one, too. Like, this sucker was, like, 35 pages. But beginning to end, what a story. Really, really fun to read. Did you actually get through this one?
1: Um, I think I kind of skimmed that one a bit during my research. I, I know I... Ha- I've actually read just about every what if at some point over the years. So I'm familiar with that one, but I I didn't read it in depth in preparation for this week.
0: There's a lot of them that as we're talking uh, about them and whatnot, like I'll, I'll quite honestly say whether it's one you should skip or not, if it's worth reading. This is actually very good. If you can get your hands on it, it was really, really enjoyable and shows that flip side of what would happen to the Fantastic Four if this took place. I really enjoyed this issue a lot. Cool. All right. What do you got?
1: So much like you, I really stuck to the ones that I grew up reading and a lot of them hold up today. Like I really enjoyed some of the volume one stuff, even a lot of the the newer ones I've I've enjoyed. But actually every single thing that I narrowed down for my list is all from volume two, which spreads from the late 80s into the mid 90s. And the first and I still legitimately own some of the individual issues of these Yeah, tucked away in a closet somewhere.
0: I would have them too if I hadn't sold my collection because I had Mm -hmm. crap loads of these.
1: So the first one is actually one of the first Marvel comics I ever owned. Like you know, I had some X Men classic stuff, you know, things here and there, but it was uh, number twenty two from Volume Two in nineteen ninety one. What if the Silver Surfer had not escaped Earth? And as we all know. Well, not as we all know, but uh, as a lot of people know, (laughs) after the Silver Surfer betrayed Galactus, Galactus imprisoned him on Earth. Like, hey, you like Earth so much? Fine. Stay here. And, uh, you know, big cosmic entity eventually let him free. But, you know, this is what if he had stayed and he joined the Fantastic Four. This is another one of those Fantastic Five issues. And it's hilarious. There's like this two-page spread montage of the Fantastic Four and Silver Surfer just Going to town on like every <laughs> villain around. It's hilarious. Like you can even see like Johnny's like yawning in the background to some of them because he's so bored. <laughs> but it comes down to uh, they get a phone call from a priest who's like, Hey, uh, Mr. Fantastic, I'd like you to come check out my church. I think it's haunted. And he's like, Well, yeah, you know, that's kind of Dr. Strange's department. And as he explains, you know, Dr. Strange is affiliated with the occult, and, you know, they, they, they wouldn't look so kindly on that. So, you know, they agree to go and they get there and literally all hell is breaking loose. Like, the priest is crawling from the ceiling, foaming at the mouth, his head is turned around 180 degrees, things are flying everywhere, and they eventually actually get sucked into Mephisto's domain. Mephisto kidnaps the entire Fantastic Five. And this is one of those things where I didn't know it until, like, I started, like, heavily researching it for this issue, that Mephisto was originally Silver Surfer's nemesis. Like, he premiered in Silver Surfer number three.
0: Oh. Because as Silver
1: Surfer was making his way across space, like the one thing he could never do was he could never go home because he didn't want to lead Galactus back to his home planet. So Mephisto was always tempting him of, oh, hey, I can you know show you your home. I can bring your your lost love to you. And it was a very – like it was a really cool dynamic between the two of them. So the whole thing here is he imprisons the Fantastic Four and is showing them their worst nightmares. And it – Like I was a kid reading this and like it was some pretty gnarly gnarly stuff. Like there's one panel that I said still to this day sticks in my mind of Sue's worst nightmare was that she would just permanently be invisible. And it's a panel of Franklin going through the Baxter building crying for his mommy because he can't find her. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) And that's where the art for this issue, uh, Ron Lim, Terry Austin and Tom Vincent. it Because Silver Surfer wasn't just, you know, some gray guy standing there. Every panel, all of the flames of hell are reflected off of his silver skin. It just looks great. So basically he's holding the Fantastic Four hostage because he wants Silver Surfer to remain in his domain forever. So Silver Surfer agrees to it. You know, Mephisto says he'll let the Fantastic Four go. And this was kind of my introduction to... The ongoing theme of what ifs of someone's going to (laughs) die because Silver Surfer, like Mephisto brings up the contract and Silver Surfer is like, you know, my word is my bond. I don't need to sign your contract. So he's like, fine. And then he kills Johnny, like just just kills him, snaps his fingers. He's gone. (laughs) So I was like, I was a kid. I was like, I didn't know these were like alternate universe type (laughs) things at the time. (laughs) I was like, what just happened? What did I just read? (laughs) But eventually, you know, Sue, Reed, and Ben end up uh, going back home. Uh, Surfer is now imprisoned in hell. And Mephisto is trying his hardest to make his life miserable. And this is one of those things, like, remember in uh, One More Day when he's like, oh, I don't want your soul because heroes just suffer, like, you know, gladly in my domain? That's exactly what Silver Surfer was doing. He was just like, do your worst. I'm fine. (laughs) Ends up pissing off Mephisto to the point where Mephisto kills Silver Surfer. But then Surfer just comes back and he's glowing this radiant, pure light. And he's like, did you forget our agreement? <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's kind of the Rorschach thing. I'm not trapped in here with you. You're <laughs> trapped in here with me. So <laughs> now Mephisto is stuck for all of eternity in his domain with you know this being of pure brilliance. And it was just a lot of fun and a, a great like introduction to this whole world of what ifs.
0: Yeah. Okay, uh, sticking with, once again, the uh, Fantastic Five, and this will be probably my last one with them, and then we'll move on from there, um, Volume 2, Issue number 35, and that was What If the Fantastic Five Fought Doctor Doom and Annihilus? This was, again, another cool one here. Now, here, once again, you've got Uatu he's still hanging around here, and he's giving quite a bit of information about and some folks may not have known this and whatnot, and he calls them Nexus, their Nexi. These people who have a very important role in history and when there are important decisions that are to be made that either affect them or that they make that affects the world kind of thing it creates these divergent paths that creates these parallel universe and whatnot and so he talks about various nexi over the years and whatnot and then you find out how there's there's a group of of people these these um, these elders that are kind of in charge of making sure that Everything's all right based on these next eye and, and what happens and, and they've tried, they've screwed up the time stream by getting the wrong people involved and whatnot. But one of the major time streams that's about to influence them now is the birth of Franklin. And we know that if you you don't know how powerful Franklin is, go back and listen to the episodes where we've talked about the Fantastic Four and some of the stuff that this cat can do. If you can create a pocket universe, yes, these guys should be worried. (laughs) And they are. So basically, they've been working their way through various parallel universes, basically taking care of Franklin so that they don't have to worry. And so here you have the watcher who is keeping an eye on them, although they figure that out and see him. And he's talking about how he believes this maybe, maybe, maybe not that, that same universe where Sue was taken by, well, not taken, but Mary Namor and things like that. And it, it references those volume one issues, which was kind of cool. I enjoyed that. And then basically it's at this point here, it's the, Fantastic Five, but Sue is in labor and she's kind of out of the picture except for the scenes where she is. "Ah!" And uh, and so you have, um, this is not with the surfer though, like yours. So this here has got obviously Ben, Johnny, Reed, and then it's got Spider-Man. So in this one, Spider-Man stuck around kind of thing. And so basically at this point, they have to go into the negative zone because Reed needs something that's going to help with the birth so that they don't both die because at this point here it's a foregone conclusion if there's no assistance that's it they're both both the child Franklin and Sue are goners so they go in there <laughs> there's no real explanation of how they came to this <laughs> realization <laughs> or what this thing does even but anyways Spider-Man is the one that comes face to face with Nihilus and he's got this freaking cosmic rod thing and we saw how Again, if you go back to the podcast, we were watching how Storm got his hand on that, and he was basically able to wield the the negative zone. But um, Spider-Man gets his hands on it fairly easily, I might add. <laughs> but he is Spider-Man. So had it been Otto, I would have believed it a little bit more. But. <laughs> um So he gets his hands on it. Then he gives it to Richards. There's some very, very corny fight scenes here. Giant foot stepping down on the thing to keep him in place. (laughs) A stationary whirling blade that's keeping Reed all occupied. because He has to dodge it. It's not going anywhere. (laughs) It's just a stationary whirling saw blade kind of thing. (laughs) It's ridiculous. But, I mean, you get past that. It gets cool when these these time messer-uppers decide that... They're going to plant a bug in Dr. Doom's ear because he's the one that's going to take care of this. Apparently not Nihilus. And so all of a sudden, Doom shows up in the freaking negative zone. He no idea how he knew how to get there. It just came to him like in a dream. And he gets his hands on this rod and boom, that's it. He's that's 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 his new favorite toy. And then he starts fighting Nihilus. And it's kind of misleading because it's a—it's saying how Fantastic Five are going to fight them both. That doesn't actually happen. <laughs> what happens is that, yeah, there's a very brief fight between Spider Man and Nihilus. That ends. And then Doom fights Nihilus, which is cooler anyway. Anyway, you slice it, that's cooler anyway. And then. Doom gets a little sneak peek. Somebody visits him. It's the Whisperer. Again, they, they have all these cool names in that time. Um, and he is the one who explains how the timekeepers are the one that planted this bug in his ear and explain him. But what they didn't tell you is that if you screw up this time zone, guess what? This is what's going to happen. And this is where we can see, again, same as in the, the other issue I was talking about, how Reed, man, good thing Sue stuck with him because, man, he, he, he goes and i'm not gonna bleep this episode (laughs) i was gonna say it but he goes crazy (laughs) what if roger didn't edit an episode (laughs) so and he loses it and there's like this nuclear of course this is like 80s 70s 80s so everything ends in nuclear disaster when it's bad (laughs) that's just that's what it was at the time so he just triggers nuclear war and everything so so basically doom decides okay well I guess it's better to give him the rod. So tosses him the freaking rod like a football player. And, uh, and then he goes on fighting Annihilus while the others take off to go help. I don't know if they insert it into her, what, how it helps, but apparently it does. There's, there's something, there's a phallic joke in there that we're not going to make, but it's there. Okay. And, uh, and then Franklin is born. So, and then you find out a little bit more what happened with Doom and whatnot. It's actually a fun issue to read, even with the claringly <laughs> stupid parts that are in there. It's actually, again, a very fun issue to read this and to see that, again, the, the, the epic freaking Doom fighting Annihilus. It was it was very cool. I like this one. You know when Doom shows up in any what if, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> really.
1: <laughs>
0: Did you read this one?
1: No. I, again, not recently. Okay. All right, so what would you got next? All right, see, one of the cool things I love, like, looking back at a lot of these what-ifs now, is that these are where a lot of talent really got their break at Marvel. You know, these were, you know, kind of throwaway things. You know, they sold well, but they didn't need a big-name talent attached to them, so they'd hand them off to, like, you know, some of their up-and-comers. Like, there's some old Dan Slot issues in here, if you look. There's one, I-, I forget what it is. I think it's one of the Doctor Strange issues. It's actually written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Michael Aiming from Powers. Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, man, I didn't see that one. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the volume two ones, I think, or maybe one of the, like the, the volume three from two thousand five. Yeah, it had to be a volume three, I think.
0: And what was it? Which one was that? That was a Doctor Strange
1: one. Doctor Strange, or I, I forget honestly. I, I said I read a lot of what yeah, ifs if over the last couple See if couple I can find weeks. that one. That sounds awesome. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll I'll look it up later. And so that leads me to a just a brief mention of this one before I get into one I actually want to really talk about. It's What If Wolverine Was an Agent of Shield, uh, issue 7 from volume 2 1989. And the story is, you know, kind of average, you know, What If Wolverine Was in Shield and it, it is what it is. But a better title for this is What If Rob Liefeld Was a Good Artist. <laughs> because this this had to have been one of his first works with Marvel and it's not bad. Like, you can see some of those liefeld like, you know, the gritted teeth and the the super puffy hair. But a lot of the artwork in here is kind of good. A lot of pouches? No. Not not, not more than you would expect from a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Let's just put it that way. A lot of what it is is uh, Jim Valentino, who was the writer, also did uh, some of the layouts for this that Rob did his pencils, you know, following. And it's one of those things where if – Rob Liefeld had really focused and, you know, worked with some other talents and, you know, improved. He could have been like a top tier
0: artist one day had <laughs> instead he, of Liefeld. Had he learned how to do his lens flares at that point? I don't recall. Because it's, it's at, as soon as he learned how to do it, that's when there was lens flares on everything from every like, possible there angle. Were,
1: there were things resembling feet. You know, anatomy was pretty good. Things were in proportion. Wow. And people were actually holding things in their hands. It was pretty impressive. By I don't believe you. Standards. I don't believe you. But anyway, uh, on that same theme, the one I really want to talk about is issue 43 from 1992. What if Wolverine married Mariko? And this is the follow-up to that original Claremont Miller Wolverine miniseries, which, of course, ended with Wolverine and Mariko announcing their engagement. And in the actual X-Men comics, it played out that, of course, they didn't get married because nobody's allowed to be happy in the X-Men. Especially in the Wolverine story. Yeah. So, of course, this plays out of what if they did? And the story is about the two of them trying to reclaim the Yoshida clan's honor, trying to pull them out of the Yakuza. And at the same time, now with Shingen out of the game, there's another force who's kind of consolidating power and doesn't want to let the Ishida go. So they come into confrontation here. Uh, the Silver Samurai is actually working for this, uh, this new power who is, of course, Mariko's half-brother. They end up you know, bringing him back into the family. And he sells out his boss, who is, of course, the Kingpin, decided to move his crime empire over to Japan. So you get this great confrontation, this absolute war between the Ishidas and Kingpin. And there's just dead ninjas everywhere <laughs> because you have Wolverine and the Silver Samurai fighting side by side. And even Sunfire, uh, the X-Man Sunfire, who is uh, Mariko's cousin, I believe, joins up with them. So now it's just absolute devastation. The Kingpin's reeling. And his last shot is to challenge Wolverine to a uh, duel. He's like, this is, this is, you know, let this be the final confrontation. You know, one of us is going to live. One of us is going to die. And just as Wolverine's gaining the upper hand, Kingpin gives the signal and Silver Samurai kills Mariko. So Wolverine goes nuts. Kingpin actually ends up getting away before Sunfire can kill him but Wolverine's not allowed to have a happy ending. <laughs> and it just ends with him getting back to the X Mansion and Kitty you know, saying, oh my god what are you doing back? And he's, he's just like he doesn't want anything to do with it. It was a cool follow up to that story. Hmm. Cool. All
0: right. Yeah. Some of the follow-ups are, are, are fun. Like that's what we're seeing with the, the AVX, although that's not so much a, a follow-up as it is a reimagining of what it would have been if divergent paths had been taken. But like, that's something that we talked about when we had talked about the, um, the Spider-Man and Wolverine series and how there had been that what if as well mm-hmm. with Spider-Man and it really throws a, again, uh, it shows you that, From a character's perspective, staying true to who the characters are, how a simple decision could affect someone so differently and could change who they are. I mean, when you're looking at in terms of, again, comic book nonsense and whatnot, these guys, a lot of what they do is because of misery, because of things that have gone bad and whatnot, Mm -hmm. and then going to extremes. So then when you see a different extreme or, you know, something that happens that... That that it may not have been as bad in the canon, but you know, toss a wrench in it and it goes up to hell. All of a sudden, it can be very, very bad or very good, depending on what happens. So, um okay, well, keeping in line with you then, because you did two, I'm going to do two. I did the, one, you and did one and a half. Well, else. I'm going to do one and a half as well. Then, okay. I okay. thought this was funny because, like you said, some of this has come true, and we have what if Captain America had been elected president. And this is what we saw in the Ultimate Universe. And uh, so this is in Volume 1, and it's issue number 26, and it's titled just that, What If Captain America Had Been Elected President? So basically what this is is he's kind of approached and – you have again, Watu given a little spiel here and said that, you know, the nation could use him and whatnot. Like we're looking back at, I'm looking for a date here, 81. So, I mean, you got sketches of Reagan in here before he's president (laughs) kind of thing and all kinds of stuff. Um, and so the nation could use someone of that stat, status and whatnot and and initially he's going to he's not going to join but then he's telling his you know supporters that he's not and you can see how disappointed they are and he says i'm going to do it and so yeah and it's very very cheesy at that point you got to plow through it <laughs> at this point just keep going and there's a lot of plowing through for this one but i thought it was interesting because of how it worked and and what it did with a stereotypes at the time so his running mate who would be the vice president is a black man and it's a you know he doesn't want an errand, quote-unquote boy no he wants a running mate somebody that he can rely on that knows the in and outs ins and outs of, of politics because he obviously doesn't and whatnot and so he has this um they obviously it's a landslide and they they win and whatnot. And then basically he has to contend with, he's, he's working on various issues, not just within America, but also helping around the world with different things. This is this whole utopian thing, because again, it's captain America in charge now. And so one of the, leaders of a smaller country, turns out to be essentially the Red Skull, well, not essentially, it turns out to be the Red Skull in hiding kind of thing. So there's a whole showdown, of course, there has to be a showdown with the Red Skull and whatnot. And, but in this one here, spoiler, the, to, to save himself and his country, or not himself, but save his country, he actually causes an explosion that kills both himself and the Red Skull. So in this one here, Captain America actually died. He's not frozen. He's dead. He's gone. And so you see the whole procession at the end and whatnot and all the heroes attending it. And and the big fake image of him in the sky with the flag in the back. As a Canadian, it makes me laugh. I know you guys. We're just as patriotic as you, except just in a cooler way. (laughs) but, uh, But yeah, this was, it was fun to read because of that. It's it's not a must-seek-out-and-buy kind of thing, but I thought it especially interesting because of what we're seeing in the Ultimate Universe with him being in charge. I don't know if that's still going on. Yeah, it is because uh, they're still he, referencing in, in X-Men.
1: Yes, but I believe he resigned as president at this
0: point. Okay, because the last X-Men, he was still in charge, or at least they made reference to it. Mm-hmm. But I never read the the ultimate, so I don't know. Okay. Well, the whole
1: the whole ultimate timeline is all screwed up right
0: now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, tell me about it. Um okay, the real one <laughs> that way, I took a little bit longer. Oh, that well, was now. the that fake was, one? That was the <laughs> fake one. The real one for realsies, uh actually this one won't take too long either. Uh volume 124 and that is what if Spider-Man had rescued Gwen Stacy. So, mm-hmm. we talked about that two-parter, I know I'd read it not that that long ago, so go back and listen to my thoughts on that two-parter where he actually... That that whole event of Gwen Stacy dying and whatnot. And that still holds up. And again, I didn't believe myself. I won't have to. Um, it holds up. It's phenomenal, fantastic. So this here, he actually saves her. And so like a lot of who Peter became... Wasn't just because of Ben. It was very much because of her death. That shaped him in such a huge way. And we saw that in not just throughout the series, but also in like miniseries as well throughout the years. We saw that especially in what was it called? Blue? That was it was called Blue, wasn't yeah. it? The miniseries we talked about that one, which was, oh my God, that was so good. So we saw how it shaped him. Well, what if that didn't happen? So you've got A Spider-Man that is not as serious, that, you know, that doesn't have that nagging part in his brain of Gwen's death being potentially his responsibility, his fault. And so that's fairly huge. So he he saves her. And, of course, he's got to give her first aid or, or like CPR and whatnot. So when she finally comes Two out of the water because they both go in the in, in the drink. Um, she sees the Spider-Man costume, but without the head mask, and sees that it's him. So then he has to quickly explain because she still hates Spider-Man and blames Spider-Man for her father's death. So he quickly explains that no, no, he knew he, who I was. He wanted me to take care of you. Blah blah blah. On the spot proposes. Now that's romance, folks. <laughs> you you just <laughs> well, how else was he going
1: to get himself out of that situation?
0: <laughs> you just save some woman's life. She's it's gonna never going to get any she, better. It's never going to be easier. So there you go. So he proposes, takes off after Goblin afterwards, who now thinks that he's killed off Spider-Man. He's going to take over all the crime. Goblin's a lot more, um, not as serious here. Like he's 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 just waif, like easy to beat kind of thing. Um, but what he does is, realizing that, is he sends off a vanilla manila envelope vanilla. A vanilla envelope (laughs) The vanilla If you lick it It tastes delicious Um, Anyways Envelope It doesn't say to who But you know it's going to be To the press of course So obviously Means to J. Jonah Uh, Explaining who Spider-Man is So that's gone But then Spider-Man follows him To his house Where um, Where Norman is But Norman is also there With uh, Harry And so You have this confrontation Between the three of them And this is where It's a little cliche and corny harry comes to his father's rescue trying to block off spider-man even though he's a goblin saying no you're not going to take him he's my father and that act alone is enough to make harry or norman see the light of day and essentially decide he's going to fix himself up and so it's it's very very cliched and corny you got to kind of muscle your way through that but what happens is that he decides there's going to be parker decides uh, they're going to keep going through with the wedding and whatnot. So it keeps going from there. And during the wedding, <laughs> Jay Jonah bursts in with the cops and he's got his vanilla envelope. <laughs> and yes, I said vanilla on purpose there. <laughs> so, and it's yeah. like, Peter is Spider-Man. And so is ruining his life right there. May faints and she's going to have a heart attack. And basically it ends again. Peter can't be happy. <laughs> it doesn't matter what happens. Peter just cannot be happy. <laughs> so that was that one. Okay. Go ahead with your next one.
1: All right. Well, these next two go hand in hand with Peter cannot be alive. (laughs) Uh, First one is what if the Punisher killed Spider-Man issue 58 from 94? And this goes back to Punisher's first appearance where he was targeting Spider-Man. The Jackal had convinced Punisher that Spider-Man was a criminal and Punisher went to take him down. As we know, that obviously didn't happen. But what if he did? What if he did take down Spider-Man? Well, now all of a sudden, everybody's after him. Like. There, he's – there's this awesome like sequence of pages where you just see him getting attacked by everybody, Daredevil, Captain America, the X-Men and he's just more and more haggard over time. And what's cool about this issue is since it's the beginning of Frank's career as the Punisher, like he had all these high hopes for what he was going to accomplish and – He was just completely crushed by realizing he made a mistake and he was just completely second-guessing like everything he was set out to do. And it was really cool character work with the Punisher. Cool. And the other one is what if Punisher had killed Daredevil? And this is later in uh, Frank's career even though it was published first. It was uh, issue 26 and 91. And he's just doing his normal thing, beating up some thugs, ready to kill some people. And Daredevil steps in to stop him from murdering these guys. And he shoots Daredevil with tranquilizer darts. And unfortunately, Daredevil falls off the building and dies. <laughs> so, again, everybody's coming after Frank. But at this point, I said he's more hardened. You know, he's sure about what he's doing. So he's just like, eh, it happens. <laughs> like, Daredevil was just collateral damage. And uh, Peter ends up coming after him and basically... At, at when Frank is out of tranquilizer ammo, Spider Man goes in for the you know the finishing blow—not to kill him, but just you know knock him out. And Punisher pulls his actual sidearm and shoots Spider Man. Doesn't kill him at this point, though. Um, gets away, but now that Spider Man's in the hospital with a gunshot wound because he tried to swing away and ended up collapsing, now his identity is public knowledge. The next page is the mob launching a rocket into Aunt May's house. <laughs> So (laughs) Punisher is realizing that, you know, his time is limited here. So he's continuing with his mission again, just going on that whole thing of, you know, it's just collateral damage. They got in the way. I I did what I had to do. I I didn't have any other choice. And Spider-Man finally comes after him again. Now just complete with rage, like completely uncontrolled because he blames Punisher for Aunt May dying. And at this point, Punisher just pumps like an entire clip into him and kills Spider-Man and then goes on to kill Kingpin and, you know, finish his war. But in so dying himself, and it's just really cool seeing those two stories with very similar setups, but at different points in Frank's life, and how the character was so different in the two of them. I really enjoyed like the the comparison between those two issues.
0: Well, again, Frank is one of those characters where in the uh, the potential is there to have a lot of fun if you diverge from what his tried and true has always been. There are some
1: awesome Punisher ones here. Like, what if he was possessed by Venom? Uh, there was one with like the one where Wolverine became the vampire Lord, which is a stupid issue, but Punisher became the new sorcerer Supreme and it was awesome for that. (laughs) Like Punisher went through so many awesome things in these what ifs.
0: All right. Moving on to, let's move on to some X-Men ones. Uh, I read a couple of them. There was the, um, the older one, which was a, what if the new X-Men had died on the very first mission.
1: That was a very good one.
0: So basically you've got the, the new team, which was Storm and Wolverine and Colossus and everybody. Well, what if they died on that very first mission in, in Nightcrawler? Uh, and so because of that, basically Charles has lost it. That's it. He is kind of being a pouty face and just <laughs> not very happy. And um, But Beast is still there. Because Beast had not gone to go fight that mutant biosphere. So Beast is still there. So Beast calls over Moira and she brings with her a uh, young ward, quote unquote. And it's, um, what's her name? Ron? Rain? Rain? Rain. Wolfman. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce her actual this is name. This from so New Mutants Wolf-Spain. anyways. Um, and so, um, yeah, Sinclair. So they show up at the house. And Again, Xavier's got no use for nothing. He's he's he, he can't think. He's all depressed, whatever. But a a transmission comes through from uh, Count Nefaria, and he is going to basically blast everything. He sees control of Norad, and he's going to be destroying the world. So Beast decides to kind of take matters into his own hands or into his own head, and slaps on freaking cerebral, which I didn't think was possible for. Anyone who's not Shh, what if Beast about, could use Cerebro? This is where yes, <laughs> what if canon does not apply in any way, shape, or form. Rules? We don't need your stinking rules. Um, so he slaps on Cerebro and starts locating various mutants around the world to take over as the new mutant or the new X Men. So he gets a hold of uh, of the Scarlet Witch and then of. Her brother as well, and Quicksilver, and then he reaches Namor's sister or cousin. Yeah, cousin Namorita, and uh, because she's going to (laughs) be this is the worst team of X Men ever, (laughs) really. And uh, and then also Banshee's. What is she? She's a cousin, daughter, niece, some damn thing. Looks exactly like him. Same accent too. (laughs) And uh, and basically, oh, and uh, proud. Proudfoot's brother, I believe, Mm -hmm. is what... Yeah, also. Um, So anyway, so he gets all of these cats together, and, and he also teleports them. Cerebro can teleport people. That's how cool Cerebro is, and we don't even know it. So they all go, including Brain Sinclair, the kid as well, and they go and fight this. This is one of those issues where... I mean, it was all right, but it was... The corniness of 80s X-Men mm-hmm. at its max, <laughs> at its best. And so you have this team fighting. The thing is, is that, like, they even talk about, like, staying together as the new X-Men later on, whatever. Uh, but it's a terrible team. Like, none of yeah. the char- with the exception of Beast, these characters are all throwaway characters. That in terms of, if you analyze it as, again, writing just from the characters and things like that, they're all... You can't hold a candle to, you know, again, Wolverine, Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler. Compare that to these characters, and as in a from a strictly writing per- perspective, they're terrible. So, it was an interesting issue, but. Certainly wouldn't want to see events have turned this way at all.
1: Yeah, it was the Xavier and Beast stuff that really made that a great issue, though. Yes,
0: yeah. Yeah, it did. Uh, And then the other one was, what if Magneto and Professor X had formed the X-Men together? And you have this way different dynamic here where... Everything is different in terms of the teams and who is together and who's not. Xavier is freaking playing basketball and <laughs> because he never got he never <laughs> lost the use of his legs, never got paralyzed. Um Kitty is freaking weird and likes wigs in this one. She's always got a different colored wigs. Um, this one was more when did this come out? This was much later on and you can tell. This I'm betting you nineties, obviously, um, way different. This one was written by Chris Eliopoulos. Anyways. Eliopoulos, the yes. letterer, is that? Oh, I that's the letter. No, 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 no. Sorry, no, no, no. That is the letter. Okay. Who wrote this? No, no. I'm looking at the credits, and it's not quite clear who wrote this damn thing. Oh, Claremont wrote this. So I, I <laughs> it's on the cover, dude. It's nowhere else. Cut me some slack. Uh, And this was published in, oh, geez, this was 2005. I would have put this in the Uh, 90s quite easily. Yeah. So this is, again, the teams are way different. You've got, I like that Wolverine is working with Mystique here. And stuff like that. Colossus is just kind of showing up. He hadn't been working there. He hadn't been an X-Men. So he just kind of shows up later on. Jean is brought in. But she's in a comatose state. And so basically Xavier is trying to get her out of that and help her. You've got some S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff going on. And, and of course Magneto kind of chilling out all over the place with a freaky ponytail. That's creeping me out a little bit um it's it it was interesting though certainly not anything that is that had that big of an impact again the what-ifs are are one of those where um as you're reading them it really it should diverge a lot and it should be believable and it should be something that has a point to it this was just kind of it kind of opens it up as if what if this occurred and they kind of – the team continued and it – a parallel universe that they kept working on kind of like the, the Ultimates universe. It it was a beginning more so than a complete story in one issue. So mm-hmm. it, because of that, I was really a lot less interested in this one.
1: Well, you see out of the – god, close to 200 what-if issues that have been published, I think 112 of them were what if the X-Men weren't the X-Men. Right. Well, it <laughs> makes sense. The, the one I have <laughs> to that same theme uh, from 1995, issue 77, what if Legion had killed Magneto? Uh, the way the Age of Apocalypse started was Legion traveled back in time, tried to kill Magneto, but his dad, Professor Xavier, was there and jumped in front of it and took the death and that's how Apocalypse rose to power. Well, well in this one, you know, what if he traveled to a time where Xavier wasn't around and succeeded in killing Magneto? Well, things play out as normal, the X-Men forum and everything, but they don't have that one foe to really test them, to bring them together as a team, to drive them to be better. So they just sort of fall apart. Bobby and Warren end up joining the, uh, the Hellfire Club. Uh, Scott and Gene just retire, go into the mountains, raise a family. And the X-Men have kind of become a joke. Like, the X-Men are basically just PR at this point. You know, they're they're in movies. They have their own reality TV series uh, stuff going on. And, you know, that's just their way of gaining acceptance until Apocalypse shows up. And, you know, Apocalypse's whole thing is, you know, he wants the mutant race to persevere, but he has to call all the weak. Well, again, without Magneto to make all of the X-Men stronger, they're the weak ones that have to go away. So it was just a really cool look at, you know... I, I, another interesting twist on you know the whole X-Men formula of really what would they have been without Magneto. Cool. Okay. Alright, we're going to have to start wrapping it up here. How many more you got? You got a bunch too. Eh? I, I can blast through three more quickly.
0: But And you have to do those three? I would like to at least <laughs> do two <laughs> of them. Okay, well, I'm going to hold you to that blasting through it. Uh, okay, I'm going to actually go with maybe two more. So... This is going to be a long episode, folks. I apologize in advance, but hey, we're having fun. Um, Oh, completely off topic, there's also a volume one, issue 34, What If the Watcher Were a Stand-Up Comedian? Yeah, don't get it. Uh, I
1: I don't like those comedy ones. They never work.
0: Don't do it, folks. Don't do it. Okay, so we can either do The Avengers or Spider-Man again. Let's do The Avengers. There was a What If the the Vision of the Avengers Had Conquered the World? This was when there was a whole bunch of stuff going on with the Vision. you got to remember how powerful the Vision is here. And what if the Vision had actually decided to conquer the world? We're looking at back in the 90s. Yeah, 1990. And what had happened is that he was going to, and then he was convinced not to, and so Star Fox kind of stepped in and helped there. So what if he had branched himself into every computer and taken over. And in this one here, he, he does. And what they do is they show both the good and the bad. So this issue is split up in two. So you have it where there's a, a meeting, basically, United Nations thing, where he explains what he wants to do and how he's going to be helping. And this is going to be for the good of the planet. And he's going to make sure that nothing is done to hurt And and nobody can hurt each other kind of thing. And so you have all of the heroes. I love how the heroes are at the UN (laughs) step aside. Angela Jolie, (laughs) we got heroes here. So we got like Thor's there and captain America. And the thing is in this, again, this is where it's a little corny and you got to kind of plow through the initial stuff. It's well, maybe this is not such a bad idea after all, let's give them a shot. So it's, it's only world domination (laughs) after all. So, they take over. He takes over. And before long, of course, all the nuclear missiles are gone Because, again, 90s nuclear missiles, still very important in that mentality. No nuclear war going on. The heroes are, in fact, handing out sandwiches. Chinese food takeout to all the homeless folks. And uh, Black Panther's out working the, the fields. And you got all kinds of stuff. Have Thor's bringing down rain. And so, in no time flat, they're in space as well. And you've got... Different um space stations got permanent space stations going up again you got to remember that at that time and I remember that as well I mean from from basically the Kennedy period through to Reagan even all that space exploration was important that getting to Mars mentality was important and and the concept of these permanent space stations and all that and we're going to get people off the planet eventually and living on other worlds. That was actually in some people 's mind a reality it was going to happen and it may yet, but not for a long time anyway so it's this utopian kind of future, and so by twenty one fifty six they're living on other planets you've got they're they're a very dominant earth is a dominant species planet whatever you want to say and you've got various people Captain America is still alive dude's still alive although now he's Commander America <laughs> <laughs> whatever they pumped him full of that serum man it works you got Tachyon Torch you got Jen um, the the Gamazon
1: I remember this one now <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> and Iron Droid and everybody um, as soon as you said Tachyon Torch it all came flying yeah. <laughs> So basically here though, you've got like, basically the, the Skrulls are tired of this. And so they're going to be working with the, uh, the, the, Ah, oh, I can't remember. But anyways, they're going to be working with the, the other planets so that the, the Kree, is it the Kree? I think it's the Kree to take out the earth. Uh, but vision saw it coming a mile away. And he made plans against it. So the only casualty is Iron Droid, which isn't even Stark. It's some dude who works for Stark Enterprise who was stuck in a suit for one day and he can't (laughs) wait to get back home. And he, you know, he's wearing a red shirt. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You're going to bite it, buddy. And then you see the downside in it's a completely separate story where basically earth revolts against the idea of him taking over. So he has to team up with the mad thinker with Dr. Doom, with the Supreme Hydra and with Fisk. I love that Kingpin. Why? You know, I'm taking over the world. Who are you going to call big dude over there? I want him on my side. (laughs) So instead of working with the heroes, he's working with the villains and it's all about conquering everybody. And likewise, again, you're getting the scrolls in the Cree, which, yeah, it is a Kree, who are like making plans of they're going to deceive them and, you know, only pretend like they're going to work with them. And But Vision saw it coming a mile away, and now it's just about taking over everything. So both of them are about them kind of winning, of course, but one is tyrannical and one not so much. Well, they both are. But, <laughs> but it, this was cool again for that to use a bad pun vision into the early nineties of the mentality of the people. Cause it's not so much about the heroes in this one or the Avengers or anybody. And it's even not about vision that much. He's, he's just kind of there. It's about that glimpse into the, the people at that time and the mentality, especially, and what was important and what was frightening to people at that time and things like that. Cool. Okay, go
1: Am I allowed to just finish up? Or? Just go with your three. Okay. Uh, oh, first no. up, uh, 1998.
0: Do uh, issue two. one. Huh? Do two. two. Two and then I'll do my last one and then you could do your last one. Okay. So uh, issue 114
1: in 1998. This was actually the last issue of the ongoing What If? And it is was What If the Secret Wars 25 years oh, later? Yes. Basically, what if those Secret Wars never ended? They all ended up living on Battle World, raising families, like, you know, reached a ceasefire. And thing hostilities sort of start up again once their kids are of age. So you have, you know, Vincent Von Doom and you know Thor's kid. I, I really want to know how Captain America got rogue pregnant. Like that <laughs> is he that manly. He is that good. So, again, just in the interest of time, not going too much into it. But it was a lot of fun. And I always love these, like, second-generation stories that pop up every now and again. I really wish at some point one of them would actually stick, stick and, you know, yeah. would go with it. Because, like, they did that whole uh, Avengers Next animated movie, which was fun. And they, they, those characters even popped up in Bendis' Avengers. I was like, oh, cool, they're actually in Marvel continuity now. But they, they still don't exist. But it was fun to see that whole second-generation thing. And then – uh and that same trend, uh, 1998, still issue 105, what if starring Spider-Girl? Oh, and yes. it was what if uh, Peter and Mary Jane had actually raised their kid instead of it being a miscarriage and that whole shenanigans with Osborne that never got resolved. But this is basically what started the whole Marvel Comics 2 line. That I mean, Spider, the Spider Girl that was established here had her own ongoing series. Well, several ongoing series that actually ended up in like a hundred plus issues of Spider Girl comics that was incredibly popular until it wasn't popular anymore and it got canceled. But it was so cool to see an actual what if issue that was spun off into its own successful series.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right, let's make it quick. The one I was going to finish off with myself is the one that I started talking about, and it is What If Uncle Ben Had Lived? And Mm. uh, this was on uh, issue number 46. Did you read this one? Do you remember it? Yes, of course. yeah. Yes. So this here is, he's at the, Parker's at the cemetery at the very beginning. There's no Uatu, which I like, and it's basically a, he's like, blaming himself for what happened. And it's not until you flip the page and you see as he's walking away with Ben that the stone is for May Parker. So then you find out what happened is that when the burglar broke into the house, which they explain what really happened, but then they show what would have happened. Um, Ben is sleeping soundly. So he doesn't go, but May hears the burglar. So she goes downstairs instead and she gets
1: Killed. Okay, it's actually a different one from the one I
0: read. Okay, this one is good. I like <laughs> it done be- this more than once. <laughs> yeah, I like this one as well too because again, very much of the time, Parker is again a skinny dude with glasses. It's it's very indicative of that time. This was actually in eighty four, um, and so you have May died, and um, and so Ben is still alive. He blames himself, and he is. I don't want to say. You know, he's, he's better at figuring things out than may or whatever, but he really keeps an eye on Peter and he is more inquisitive and he's kind of figuring things out. And you can see him that, that old with the finger on the lips kind of, Hmm, what's going on here? And Parker's taken off to do different things and whatnot. And so he figures out that Peter is Spider-Man. In in the worst reveal way possible, he he leaves his outfit on the table underneath the (laughs) tablecloth and asks Spider-Man to change tablecloth and there's the the outfit worst reveal ever. But anyways, (laughs) it's it's so terrible. So then they have a big speech about and and Peter saying how he blames himself and and this was it was a good scene because you have uh, Ben saying like you feel that way. I was in the house. I was here. I slept through it all, which again, for anybody who's married or or has a significant other, the concept of sleeping through something like this, where somebody breaks in your, your, your wife or husband, depending, uh, goes out to investigate and they're the ones that get, oh my God, I don't, I don't know how I'd live with that. And so that kind of gives a new perspective for Peter instead of that bashing his head against the wall for the rest of his life because of this I mean he has you know he can share in that pain with Ben which it was a nice spin I liked it and it really shaped him differently from there what happens though is Ben has had it with Jay Jonah slamming Spider-Man and freaking goes to confront J Jonah and Spider-Man shows up and J Jonah actually forces him to reveal who he is. From that moment forth, J Jonah owns him. He tells him where to go for art so that he has his guys there to take pictures and for for all of the articles and everything and he basically between him and and also Ben bossing around Peter and telling him what he should be doing throughout the issue. It's like both of them are kind of controlling Peter in terms of, you know, what he should be doing. So it's a, it's a, it's a really different, kind of turn of events and then you have at one point Peter's basically had it which I kind of would have had it a lot earlier myself (laughs) but he's had it living out on the streets and that's it I've had it and of course in typical you know Spider-Man fashion he's gonna come to his senses and come back there's a really cool thing going on with J. Jonah's son who's there as well and, and whatnot it's 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 a funny issue to read, not necessarily beginning to end, but there are parts in it that we've all wondered. You cannot look at a shot of Peter walking with the ghost of Ben and not think this kind of thing. So some of what happened here fits with what I would write. Some is so far left field that I never would have bothered with it. It's kind of tripe, but some of it is like, yes, that's, that's exactly how I can see this going down. And it was, it was quite cool in those regards. Hmm. All right, go with your last one. All right, so my last
1: one is a big departure, actually. It was uh, issue 87 from 1996, and it's What If Starring Sabretooth Screams in the Night uh, in the 90s X-Men Uh, Early on in their run, uh, Sabretooth was a guest, if you will, at the Xavier Mansion as uh, Professor X was trying to heal his mind. Uh, Most of the X-Men were away. Beast was conducting a test of the facilities. Power went out. Sabretooth escaped. Uh, He ended up attacking Jubilee, but uh, this was when Bishop was a new member of the team. He stepped in, stopped Sabretooth, saved Jubilee. Well, they weren't really doing so much of a what-if, of, like, what if it had been different. It was just a completely different take on the story where this tooth is far more feral, shreds through Bishop like he's nothing, and is basically chasing Jubilee through this darkened Xavier mansion. It, it was like a horror comic. It was really good. Um, you know, he ends up killing Beast and – Like, the artwork is completely distorted. Like, if you hadn't said it was Sabretooth, you wouldn't recognize it as Sabretooth. But if you kind of put yourself in the mindset of, you know, this is how Jubilee is envisioning this thing, this horrible monster that's killing all of her friends and her family and is chasing her. Like, it was a complete departure from the traditional what if. And that's what I liked about it so much. It was just this really brutal horror story of Jubilee trying to survive being locked in the mansion with this beast.
0: That's actually fairly cool. I didn't read that one. All right, let's move on very quickly to what we're reading, we're going to make this very quick. I'm actually going to just go with a couple, the the important ones, (laughs) Superior Spider-Man, which is the most important, especially because we got Umberto Ramis back to do this issue. (sighs) Yeah. You don't realize how much you miss his art until you see it again and go... This is what Spider-Man is supposed to be all the time. <laughs> Somebody lock him down. Um, so this is the aftermath of Shadow Labs being destroyed by Otto. And you have Carly who's like, I'm on to you, buddy. And uh, and the captain is there as well. And if you'll recall, she's Wraith. So there's going to be some stuff coming up with Wraith as well. They kind of allude to that. Well, more than alluded, mm-hmm. it's right there. Yeah, <laughs> um, but then you have—I mean, this isn't one of the the best recent Superior Spider-Man issues. But that's mainly because they do so much with the Hobgoblin, which I mean was fine and enjoyable and good, and it works. And and there's still story development with Peter, um, especially Peter and Anna Maria. We need more of her. She is so awesome. She keeps Peter in place to auto in place. I love it. She steals his freaking cell phone. <laughs> um, so we see more, and he outs the freaking Hobgoblin, which is yeah, awesome ending. And again, you want to talk about your? I cannot wait until the next freaking episode issue. That was this. That was definitely this. One thing about this, of course
1: you have the whole Green Goblin stuff going on at the same time. And all this time, everybody's just assuming that that's Norman Osborn. But they made a distinct point to not show the Green Goblin's face until he was in costume. When they were just walking by in their plain clothes, it was all shadowed. So now I'm wondering, who is is it? Yeah, Yeah. I have theories that we'll come back to. Okay.
0: So this is cool. And this is where you're seeing more of – Horizon Labs and, and May and MJ, they're all kind of cluing into not just Carly. There's something going on here. So, but I mean, it's going to be a long time before anybody really clues in by the sound of it. So, and I'm cool with it. I'm cool with that. Just more Anna Maria. I like her. Uh, and then, of course, all new X-Men, number 15. Did you read that one? Oh, my God. This was freaking <laughs> in every single way, and La Fuente, if if I pronounce that properly, the freaking yeah, art was awesome in this. Oh yeah, I loved it because again, it wasn't just the thin, anemic kind of superheroes that are either, you know, horribly buff or disproportionate or, or things. It was it looked more like real people. I liked it. Uh, and plus it made the kids look like kids that I loved because again, it's hard to tell when you're looking at some of the, the art from someone, it, it, which mm-hmm. is good, but I mean, you're looking at the old team and they don't quite look like kids and it's, you know, they're supposed to be, they are, they're young teenagers. Well, when you're looking at this, they look like young teenagers and you can appreciate what they're going through a lot more. Um, So that aside, art and coloring, freaking amazing. Story-wise was great. So you have for the majority of the story is you got two things going on. You've got Cyclops and Bobby basically taking a break. Let's just get the hell out of here and relax and clear our minds. Because Bobby cannot deal with seeing his future himself <laughs> making out with Kitty Pride, which I thought was <laughs> hysterical. And then basically Scott has got so much going on he needs a break. So they're they're taking off. And then you have Steel Wolverine's Jeep. Yes, yeah, steal the Jeep and the bike. And uh and then you've got all the stuff going on, which is far more important with Gene. Gene not just coming. <laughs> Coming face to face with uh,
1: that was the best part of the issue.
0: Oh, that was freaking awesome! You've got Gene coming face to face with uh, with uh, why am I blanking out with uh, Rachel? Rachel, and so that was hysterical because hey, Rachel's been gone, so she has no clue and she's shutting off people's minds so she cannot read their minds as she's going past. I'm going, I'm having a shower, and boom, there's her mom. <laughs> and it was like, oh my God. So that was awesome. And I love how Bendis, like he, he doesn't play with it or try to drag it out or anything. No, it's just an awkward moment that both wants to forget. <laughs> and so they just kind of walk away. Uh, but then also the stuff that's going on because older beast when working, helping to train younger Jean is of course thinking, my God, what if I told her back then how much I loved her? And so she then confronts younger Beast and says, sort of like, why didn't you ever tell me that you love me? And they make out. And it's like, awesome. <laughs> I'm much more okay with her and Beast than her and Summers. Summers should, he should still be a virgin at 40. <laughs> Nobody should want to be with him. <laughs> He's a terrible human being. So Does the uh, stick up his butt count? Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, so <laughs> this, again, par for the course, this was a phenomenal issue. Loved it. What do you got for the week?
1: All right. Superior Foes of Spider-Man issue two. Oh, I've got it. I haven't read it. That, that is like everything I want out of a comic book. I, I, oh, my God. It was great, especially once the Punisher shows up. That's all you need to know. <laughs> and uh, on a left turn, uh, I talked – this is one of the web comics we talked about God, a million years ago. Uh, Gunner Krieg Court.
0: The yes. one with the, uh, yeah, the yeah, weird yeah. mystical
1: school. I, I've still been re- reading it religiously like every you know, three times a week. The storyline, the, the chapter they just finished up was
0: amazing. Like If you're not caught up on that, do it. Hmm, cool. Okay. Awesome. All right. Is that That's it? All. all right. Cool. So let's run through what's coming up this week. On the Marvel side, if you haven't been keeping up with Alpha – there's a trade paperback for alpha big time then we've got astonishing x-men number 65 we got dexter number one of five if you're into dexter fantastic four number 11 which i've been really digging the stuff they've been doing lately so great stuff infinity number one of six i can't even say it without laughing uh marvel universe ultimate spider-man number 17 great stuff nemesis number one
1: that's the uh that's the cartoon tie-in is it yeah damn it
0: okay well, we'll see. Uh, Superior Spider-Man Team Ups, number two, which I really kind of enjoyed the first one. So I'm looking forward to this. I put Thor for you, number Woo-hoo. 11. Uh, Why is it always Thor on your week? <laughs> uh, Ultimate Comics X-Men, number 30, which I'm hoping that's going to really pick up. Uncanny X-Force, number 10. and it Uncanny X-Men, number 10. What? what? Is it really? Yeah, it is. And Wolverine, <laughs> yeah. number eight. And Wolverine and his peeps, number 34 which is always awesome. And then we've got on the DC side, we've got a crap load of 23s. We've got Batman. We got Batgirl, Demon Knights, Green Lantern Corps, Nightwing, Suicide Squad, Superboy. And then we've got Batman, Arkham Unhinged, number 17. Is that right? yeah i guess yeah it is it was there i wrote it down constantine number six uh justice league of america if you're still actually reading that number seven katana number seven and world's finest number 15 and then from image we've got east of west number five dudes read it everybody ghosted number two which i'm curious to see if it's going to get much Mm -hmm. better las vegas number four of four mind the gap number 12 have you been reading that still I read the first storyline and I haven't caught up. I need to actually give it another shot and go through it and see if I can. It's a very interesting mystery. Okay. Uh, Saga number 13 for you and Walking Dead 113. And then for everybody else, we've got Thunder Agents number one from IDW. I don't know. that's going to be any good or not but give it a shot and Archer and Armstrong number 12 which I know you're still reading from Valiant so that's going to wrap it up for the week everybody make sure to stop by the site at comicbookinformer.com and you can follow us on Twitter at CB Informer and we'll talk to you guys next week